0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So I'm sitting here in front of my big monitor and my desktop laptop and a whole bunch of audio gear. I was wondering, maybe we could do an episode about uh, our current setups. You know, hardware, software, what's working for us, what didn't work for us in, you know, recently, and what, what we've moved to maybe. Because, you know, we've had a lot of... Uh, a lot of turmoil in good ways in like the apple yes. hardware ecosystem recently uh and we've had a lot of you know potential software changes here and there and and tooling changes and so i'm wondering if we could go over that today
1: yeah no, i think it's an excellent time to do that kind of a, a check-in because there's been so much change for the better um in the last year i feel like we've done one of these I feel like a year or two ago and it's like so much has changed so much has kind of settled down. And I feel in a more stable place now in a way that I feel like I hadn't until the last round of, you know, until the, uh, the Mac studio came out and the Apple and like the studio display. And it's kind of settled down a little bit, I think of what the, what the landscape is to a large degree for a developer. And so I think it's a good time to kind of just check in and just say what we're using. And obviously it's one of those, like, this is what works for us and we can hopefully kind of Talk to why we think it's useful and hopefully, you know, that can help inform, um, other developers' choices out there. Cause I think something that I definitely would just sort of, as, as an opening statement, say is that the tools you use to do your job are very important and p- treating them with, you know, with, with, with intent and thoughtfulness and respect is a, Good thing that making sure that you have the right tool for the right job and you're putting, you know, I think it is rare that I've spent money on getting a better tool to do my work that I then regret because by sort of the nature of what you're doing is you're making yourself better at your job um, or more efficient or more effective at your job. And what that means for everyone might be different, but it's something that I think is definitely a worthwhile topic to make sure that where you're thinking about, you're not just sort of stuck in an old uh, in an old setup just because it's what you had.
0: Yeah, I think, for me, it's it's very much about, you know, first of all, I agree that I have rarely bought, like, a good tool for my job and regretted it, <laughs> you know, usually, you know, a lot of times things will be expensive up front, and and I'll, I will hesitate to get the best thing that I can get, because I just don't feel good spending that amount of money on it, um, or I'm not able to spend a lot of money on something right now, and so I, I tolerate something you know, worse for a while until I can. And and whenever I have splurged and done whatever it took to get the thing that I really needed to do the job, whatever that was, um, I have always, you know, felt that short-term pain of crap, that's a lot of money. And then, Almost instantly, forgotten about it once I got the tool and realized, oh, this is fantastic for my job, and and you know, then the idea of going of ever going back uh, is hard. And and obviously, this is very much a a budget limited thing for so many people, and I don't want to minimize that um, because you know now I'm not so limited as I was when I was younger. And but when I was younger, I went through a lot of that. I mean, for years and years and years, I would just I was dying to have a desktop Mac, and I just couldn't afford what was then um, a G5. And then later, the first Mac Pros, uh, like I, I would I was dying for those and I just couldn't afford them. And that and that was it. And I for a while, I would never use Apple monitors because I couldn't really afford them. And I so I'd use PC monitors for a while. I would I would get the, you know, the base model Apple laptop and then put third party RAM and hard drives in it to make it bigger and f- bigger and faster without you know, having to pay Apple's prices. And so I, you know, I am very familiar with that you know that angle that a lot of people need to take because it's just you know a lot of the stuff is very expensive so I don't want to minimize that um you know fortunately now I'm in a spot where I can buy the good tools um and, I'm, and I and I I will never stop realizing how fortunate I am for that but uh with with that in mind um you know one of the, one of the biggest examples of this is the stupid Pro Display XDR <laughs> which, you know I I really wanted wanted you know a Retina apple a monitor and for you know until very recently this was the only option uh and i i should have probably bought it a year before i did um but i didn't <laughs> and, and it killed me to spend the stupid six thousand dollars on this It's <laughs> it, yeah. it kills me even to say it i feel so embarrassed even saying that i spent that on this uh but damn it it's a really good big monitor and and Screen space, I think, is number one for developers. Do whatever you can in whatever configuration you can to get a ton of screen space. That matters so much, especially for iOS developers, because we not only not only do we have, you know, all developers have to have code windows, possibly documentation windows iOS developers also usually typically have simulators, at least one, running on the screen. And that, that could be a large iPhone. It could be a large iPad. You know, Those can take up a lot of space. Uh, and, and so not to mention other tools, like you might have a command line window open to run some stuff. If you're a web developer, you might have a web browser window open to show the current page or app or whatever you're working on. You might have multiple code windows open. So screen space is key. So whether that's getting the biggest laptop you can get or whether it's getting a big monitor or usually multiple big monitors or multiple medium-sized monitors which is usually significantly less expensive <laughs> um, you know whether whatever whatever you have to do get as much screen space as you possibly can for your current setup and your and your current budget because that is everything i would rather have a slower computer with a giant screen than the fastest computer in the world with a tiny screen like that's that's how much that matters
1: yeah, and I'm in exactly the same place where it's like I, I have a Pro Display XDR. It is more, in many ways, more than I need for the work that I do. That all of its fancy color management and things are completely lost on me. That's that that's not what I got it for. And but I got it because before I got, it's like before I had this, I was for. A, there was a period where I was using one of the f- first M1 laptops because they were the best computers, and I had an iPad Pro like my running sidecar as my secondary display and i did that for like two or three weeks and then i had this sort of this moment of just like looking at myself and like what am i doing like <laughs> th- th- like I, like like th- this is th- this is this is not right like this is this is this is my job this is this is I, how i i pay my make my living and while i wish it was cheaper there wasn't there was no other option that was good at the time and It was something that the business could afford. And so I went ahead and did it. And it's like, I wish it was different, but I don't regret in any way having it because it has been really, really nice and helpful and effective and has made me more efficient at my work since I got it. And I think the studio display would be an excellent alternative to that. And I think if I was, you know, if I was making this, if the studio display had existed, whatever, a year and a half ago when I got my XDR... I think that there's a good chance I would have got it instead, or potentially even gotten two of them instead. Um, But as that wasn't the case, it's like I think I made a reasonable choice. And now th- the nice thing about monitors is they stick around forever. Mm-hmm. Like I-, I have a strong, ex- I have a strong sort of feeling that I'll be using this monitor, you know, for the foreseeable future. I don't even know for me five, six, ten years wouldn't surprise me um, that-, that this is a monitor that I use um, because it's just. I don't can't really imagine wanting to go bigger. So if Apple came out with you know whatever a thirty six inch monitor or something or a forty inch monitor, like it, it starts to get like my peripheral vision is becoming like problematic here, and so this seems big enough. It's if anything, it's you know it's, it's about it's it's right on that edge of sort of the edge of what I find useful. But it is gorgeous. It's it's pixel accurate, super sharp, you know, for the work that I do, it's it works great. And um, it's probably worth mentioning here that something that uh, I didn't get it with the nanotexture display, um, both because it's very expensive, but also um, when I was looking at doing that, I think the thing that I ran into is the nature of what I'm doing is so often there are times when it's very important that a pixel I see is a pixel on the screen. Like there's a one-to-one mapping that if, you know, sometimes I'm not quite bringing out a magnifying glass, but I'm leaning in and like really looking at the screen because I'm trying to, you know, having, you know, having a report of a weird issue where some pixel is getting, you know, half a pixel off. And so it's getting slightly misaligned on a retina pixel and things are fuzzy or, and what I ended up deciding is, you know, my office I've treated such that I have to minimize the glare. Like my wind, the window in my office, I put, uh, you can get this roll on frosting stuff that you would you think it's usually intended for like a bathroom so it's like essentially a sheet of something that looks like wrapping paper that just you make you know you make it slightly wet and then it kind of sticks to the window of your of you know of a room and you you should put it in a bathroom. I just put it in the op- my office window so that all of the I still get lots of light in my office, but all of the light that comes into my office is diffuse. Like there's no kind of specular light that that comes in, um, and I found that has that's cut down the glare for me and it works great. And so, um, and it means that now if I get really close to my monitor and look super close, a pixel is a pixel, and there's no you know blooming or smushing of that pixel or blurring of it. And obviously, the nanotexture is a tremendous tool for that but it still was something that didn't seem that was sort of worth taking the risk that i was going to start seeing any artifacts or things getting caught on that that would then ultimately come back and con- confuse me so the xdr is great i don't think you need the nanotexture i think the studio display is amazing and um, i think yeah screen
0: space the more the better I love the idea that like somebody who who might have seen you putting that up on your on your office window probably would assume that you're like working on highly sensitive information like you know you're like sure. working for like a government intelligence agency yeah. or something. Meanwhile, you're like making widgets. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, that's what I'm doing. I'm just sitting here making widgets, but
1: uh, 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 you know, don't don't want anyone to see me while I'm doing it. But <laughs> but it's just it's the thing I wanted to mention because it's one of these things that's like it's it's an artifact of my current setup that it took me a while to kind of I tried all kinds of different things and arranging my office so that you know Apple put my screen facing the window behind the window like different things but it always there was always some part of the day where it didn't work well like there was you know i could either first thing in the morning it was bad or in the evening it was bad or whatever and i just tried this and it worked and so i just went it's like if anyone has has this kind of problem where you have control of the window but you're having a lot of problem with glare it's like consider just putting up some some of this frosting stuff and this you know it's it's completely reversible you just like peel it off if you don't like it so just yeah, you
0: know, worth considering if you're having troubles with glare. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, um, moving on to the computer side of it next. But first, we are brought to you this episode by Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great. But now you have to get them onboarded. If your company's growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are already huge or large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast, even in those really big code bases developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable centralization is helpful but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it as a code intelligence platform SourceGraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations Teams that don't have Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. And today, they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies. Plus... PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, Atlassian, and more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or just click the link in the show notes to let them know that you heard about them from us. Once again, about.sourcegraph.com. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, moving on to the hardware side. Um, yeah, I guess I guess this is all hard. <laughs> Moving on to the computer side, uh, I think if you are you know building typical kinds of iOS type projects, if you're you know that kind of developer, if you are not using Apple Silicon yet, do whatever it takes to get an Apple Silicon. So even even if you get the most basic base model M1 MacBook Air or Mac Mini, that is going to be a better and faster computer for iOS development than. Any, any intel computer ever was and it's just it, it, the the jump that you get when you go from intel to m1 is significant uh both in kind of small everyday things like you know how certain little actions feel and also the amount of compiled time you'll save on bigger jobs uh, whether it's swift or objective c they both have pretty substantial savings going from intel to m1 and so i strongly suggest if at all possible get into the M1 lifestyle, even if it is as simple as the, the base model MacBook Air. Like, that is plenty fast. Um, and if you can afford better, then go for it. Then I, then I would strongly suggest looking at the M1 Pro or M1 Max um, in one of the MacBook Pros. Um, and hopefully soon we'll have a Mac Mini with that option. We don't yet. We'll see. Um, you know, the, the iMac front is kind of a question mark right now. Um, if the small iMac works for you, that's great. Uh, it's another you know very well priced uh, product based on the M1, um, so that's that's very very good. Although honestly, if you can get a MacBook Air and an external monitor or two, that would be, I, I prefer that setup. The great thing about you know the current laptops, this is why I'm I'm in I'm using a i am i am i am using ai hope I keep saying the desktop laptop. This is kind of what I've been calling on an ATP. And I actually I used to have a desktop and a laptop, and now I just have two laptops, a big one and a small. one. <laughs> because yeah. the it turns out the laptops now are as good as the desktops in almost every way like it, they're, you're not missing much by having a laptop and you're gaining portability so where this is great i mean i don't need to tell you guys you know i, I don't need to tell ios developers <laughs> about the value of laptops but uh you know just to point out you know what's great about laptops is that like i'm this weekend i'm going somewhere uh, with the family for the weekend and i get to just bring my desktop with me because it's a laptop and I can just pick it up and go. And in the past, we've always had this option. But in the past, laptops came with substantial compromises. Uh, You know, heat, noise, performance, uh, capability, expandability, I guess they're still not expandable, but capacity, I guess. Uh, And today, those limitations are almost entirely gone. In fact, my MacBook Pro is, from all accounts, quieter than the mac studio with the exact same processor in it uh, it performs the same it has all the same or most of the same like capacity limits um, it doesn't have as many ports as a desktop uh, that's that's like the, the, the one still significant limitation um, but it still has a lot of ports and other than that like there's pretty much no downside and if you want to run a laptop either either open next to your desktop you have then you get a bonus monitor you know laptop plus monitor on the side and external keyboard and mouse it's a great setup lots of developers do it for great reasons. i did that for years or if you want to do clamshell mode where you have the laptop closed all the time plugged into external uh, components that's what i do now that also works great now where it never worked great before so i would strongly suggest if you're considering getting a desktop and you also occasionally need to bring it somewhere and that's almost everybody um if you if you were previously in a desktop plus laptop lifestyle, consider going all laptop when you move to the M1 family, or if you want if you're in the mood for an upgrade, because it really there's very few trade offs left now. It's almost all just bonus. Like you you just get a great laptop and desktop in one, and there's very little reason not to run it this way. And this is why you know when the Mac Studio came out, uh, the it, my my temptation to buy it. was not very high and I still haven't bought it because I get so much value out of having one primary computer that I'm moving with me when I travel, but most of the time stays on my desk connected to this big monitor. And that's it's just been so great, so convenient to have all my stuff with me all the time, to have one computer set up with everything. Like It's just been great. So strongly recommend getting a MacBook Pro or even a MacBook Air as your main desktop and laptop combined.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'd say I'm using the 14-inch... MacBook Pro with the M1 Max, 64 gigs of memory. Like this machine seems like it was built for what I do. It, it, it seems it is it is faster. I need thing to be fast. It's capable where I need to be capable. The screen itself is gorgeous and works really well. um Even if I'm not using it connected to an external monitor, so if I'm traveling or if I'm just around the house or whatever sort of context I'm in, or I just need to use it, it's. It's a beautiful, gorgeous display that's big enough that I feel like I can still be productive um, and make good work on that machine. Um, and it's—I personally, I like using it in sort of as a second monitor when I'm working. So in my usual setup, I have uh, my XDR as my main sort of working screen, and then. My I have it on, I think it's a, called a roost stand. It's just sort of this folding laptop stand that I found I got initially for when I'm traveling. Because um, I found I would start to have, especially with a week like WWDC or some anytime I'm traveling but I'm actually working for travel, I found that eventually my wrists would start getting little RSI issues when I would travel. And so I would start to, to bring, I needed to sort of have an extra keyboard and mouse and then raise my laptop up so I could work with reasonable posture in a hotel room um and so i got this little folding roost sand for that and it's actually worked now it's just it, it works works well it's great and it's super stable and so i just leave my laptop on there and i have personally find that having it open is much more useful in it for, for the way that i work and because and i'm mostly that's because 90 i would say 90 percent of the time if unless i'm using unless i'm actively developing there's nothing on my laptop screen. It's just sitting there looking at me. But anytime I'm actually using a simulator, I always put my simulators onto the the side monitor. And I think largely this is. I was trying to think about this in preparation for this episode. And I think the reason I'm doing it is I like having my development environment in terms of Xcode documentation, terminal, whatever I'm you know I, my Git you know Git Git client, whatever it is, in a stable place on my main screen that doesn't change whether I'm deploying to a phone, you know, plugged in via USB-C or from going to a simulator. And so in some ways it's nice to have this extra space that is just sort of always available as a sandbox for putting all my simulators into. Um, and it also, I feel like it works really well as a simulator screen, just the screen is so rich and it, it just looks good. I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's, it works really well for that. Um, and so that's the way that I use it. And I, yeah, the, the, any kind of M1 Laptop you can get is, is amazing. I think it was, it's, it was certainly telling when I got my, uh, first M1 Mac was that the, the, that, that original 14 inch M1 MacBook Pro. 13. Um, it was 13 inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whichever one that was, it's like I could get the air or I could get the pro and I decided, well, I'll get the MacBook Pro just cause it, it had a fan and I didn't know if it would turn into a thing. But I was leaving, you know, using an iMac Pro for that, which had way more cores, had way more memory, had way more everything, but all of the jobs that I did on that were better and faster on that basic M1 uh, laptop than my big beefy uh, iMac pro. And so it was just like, that that was pretty telling to me. And so then now it's just sort of this journey I expect of, I will be getting, uh, you know, I will expect to be using M1 laptops. I think that it's amazing for the portability reasons you've been talking about. And and then also just it's, yeah, there is something amazing in, the way Apple Silicon works where you don't have to compromise performance in order to use a laptop that it isn't that there's, I mean, the, I guess the only thing we can't use on a laptop right now is the ultra chips, um, which is interesting and was certainly the thing that I was most interested when the 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 Mac studio came out and the ultra chip was announced is can Xcode actually take advantage of this? Is this actually something that's going to have a tangible benefit that, you know, essentially I can take two of the processors I have in my computer right now and I can put two of them in there. It's like, is that going to meaningfully impact my performance? And as far as I can tell, based on looking at benchmarks and analysis is it seems like, you know, I am paying substantially more, and having twice as many chips with all the complexity that goes along with that. And I'm getting 15%, 20% benefit, maybe, in terms of Xcode performance. And so, right now, I feel pretty good about the fact that I think an M1 Max is probably about as much as you... is at that point of diminishing returns for Xcode work. And honestly, I think the thing that I'm most curious now is what the M2 chips are going to do with that. Because if the single-threading performance was actually meaningfully better... It's like parallelism is sometimes helpful with Xcode, but primarily, I think single-thread performance is going to be the most important thing. So we'll see. But like for right now, I'm super happy with the 14-inch M1 Max uh, MacBook Pro.
0: Yeah, I I, I did the a similar you know conclusion when 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 the Ultras came out with the with the Mac Studio, and it seems like the Ultras do provide some benefit for developers. But as you said, it's not it isn't you know double the speed. And it depends a lot on how large your project is and how much Swift versus Objective C that you have in it. Um, there, there's, you know, I think there's more gains to be had when there's more Swift. But if there's a lot of Objective C, there it's it's less impactful. Um, just because you know, I think Swift parallelizes better, and is much slower to compile in the first place, so you see that benefit more. Objective C is so damn fast to compile on modern hardware that <laughs> you don't really notice it. Um, yeah. But but also um, you know to to go for the ultra, I would lose the portability, and so like it would have to be really good. Like in a way, you know we'll see what happens with the Apple Silicon Mac Pro story. We don't know how that goes yet. But uh, but in a way, I think if i'm going to lose the portability of a laptop i don't want it to be twice as fast i want it to be four times as fast or more you know i want it to be way faster (laughs) not not just not just a little faster um and that that might make me reconsider but for the most part i'm i'm mostly not waiting on compiles very often anymore Um, and when i do it's only for a few seconds here and there so it's not it's not a a major um hindrance to me and the great thing about being being on the laptop train too is that the laptops get the faster chips first. So as you mentioned, like if, if some new chip has some great feature that we want, uh, you can you can have it become available in the MacBook Pro usually before it's going to be available in something like a Mac Studio or a uh, Mac Pro. Um, that, that's probably going to keep going that direction. Um, and laptops, when you are when you are replacing them and you have then you know an extra laptop, are usually much easier to trade in or give to family members or donate somewhere because more people need them and more people can use them and so it's just it's generally laptops make certain things much easier to do um, and they have certain benefits so yeah generally speaking i'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the desktop laptop lifestyle um, before we wrap up uh, I, I we do we probably should briefly cover software uh choices the good thing is, I don't. I don't actually have a lot to say here that would be very, very uh, unexpected or interesting to people. <laughs> like I'm mostly using Xcode. I still use the terminal for lots of types of um, operations, uh, except for Git. Uh, for Git, I use the the wonderful Tower app, which I am a big fan of. I've been using it for years. I, I do know how to use Git on the command line, and I still do that on like when I'm interacting with my servers because I kind of have to. Um, but Git in in tower is so much nicer for for desktop slash laptop use um that i greatly prefer that and whatever whatever gains i was having by using on the command line were grossly outmatched by the (laughs) amazing benefits i get of using it in a gui so i'm very happy with tower as my git client and and i don't and i don't use the built-in xcode uh, git integration Um, i just use tower and other than that uh, oh i use dash as my documentation viewer um, I I like that a lot. It's it's still I think the best one out there that I've seen. Um, and that's about it for developer tools. You know, TextMate is my text editor. I actually use TextMate two, the like the forever beta of TextMate two. Um, but you know, for I'm not I'm not writing iOS code, and that I'm writing iOS code and Xcode. Um, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, and I think I'm kind of surprisingly similar I, th- I think it's it's one of these things with developer tools I feel like I just I know how to use the tools that I use and anytime I try and change the even if it's potentially better or have some advantages or is you know different in some ways and good in others and it's like I always just come back to the things that I know because I know them so well it's like I do my development in Xcode I use Tower for Git I do spreadsheets in Excel um, I use Solver for kind of just off you know sort of Periodic calculations, um, and that's about it. Like that—that that is. And I have Photoshop. If I'm doing any kind of graphic work, um, is what I found to kind of be the most. It, it was ultimately, I think, a question of because sometimes I need to interact with designers, and all designers talk in Photoshop. I just decided <laughs> I'm going to learn Photoshop rather than you—you know—going down the Pixelmator or Acorn or all the other kind of tools that I could learn. It was better to just I should just learn the one that 99 percent of the time is going to be. The expected tool, and I'm not going to end up with compatibility issues.
0: Yeah, I, I came to similar conclusions on that front. Yeah, and so I
1: found that to be pretty good. And that's, I think, having a few, no, a, a small number of tools is actually probably a benefit. That you know, I use, I use TextMate as my basic text editor. If I need to do anything in there, I can't and, believe
0: you see. I thought I was the only one left using TextMate. No, no, <laughs> no. I
1: use TextMate all the time. It is, it is, it's just, it is part of muscle memory for me now. Like right, the way that it does things is. And I could change, but it would be annoying and frustrating. And there's no need to because it does the job. It's like I'm editing a plain text file. Plain text files haven't changed since whatever it was, two, you know, 2005 when I started using TextMate. Like the, the text files or text files are just text files, um, and that's that's the way that I I use things. And I think there is a benefit in that kind of approach. Of every now and then, there'll be this new like text, you know, the, te- the, the text editor du jour that does features and functions in new and interesting ways. And I sometimes will. Try, try that but it always is always is fighting against muscle memory and expectation and just knowing where things are and things working the way that I want them to um, and so I don't and increasingly honestly I'm using Xcode for a lot of kind of things where if I need to open a big file or something some, some situation where TextMate might be more uh, may struggle a bit more I'll just use Xcode um, and it works fine <laughs> it's great and I, I know, I know my, way, my way around Xcode um, uh, incredibly well
0: yeah, I feel like that's that's an underrated advantage. Like if you already know a tool, as you mentioned earlier, like it, it f- for you to change away from using that tool, either that tool has to completely break and stop working, or there has to be a massive reason to do it. Because once you know a tool, it, it gets in in your fingers, like you, you don't even have to think about how to use it, you just use it. And it doesn't, it, you know, gets out of your way. And you know, how you know, your way around it, you know how to do powerful things with it. And so, once you like familiarity with something is extremely powerful and so you know if if somebody comes around oh yeah look at this new you know atomic editor 3.0 it's like i don't i don't need to know that like (laughs) textmates working fine for me or sublime or whatever it is that you use out there like if those things work fine for you just keep using them until you can't or won't for some reason but otherwise like familiarity is key because messing with your tools and changing tools unnecessarily is uh is It's like shopping for gear. It's like it's fun, but it's not productive, and it's it's mostly you know an indulgence. Uh, It's not very good for time management. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think with all these things, it's just find a tool. It's like find that tool that you are effective and productive in, and then just try and stick with it. Like that's part of why I am looking. I'm so excited that I feel like I could stay on the desktop laptop sort of. You know, having a MacBook Pro as my main machine for the foreseeable future, and that feels amazing. I don't need to change. I don't need to worry about jumping back and forth. I can just sort of optimize my environment, my desk setup, everything around that, and feel good about it going forward. And have the fewest changes in terms of, it, you know, I'm going to be able to con- continue to be just as effective as I am now without sort of speed bumps and issues along the way where I have to migrate or change. And that's exciting. That's encouraging. And that's ultimately what our tools should be doing for
0: us. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.